Welcome to Make Me Your Voice with Pastor David Bartowell. These messages are intended to deepen your faith and trust in a living God who speaks to us with hope and reason. Today's message comes to us from the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. Today we're going to talk about the battle with everything going on in our world and all the chaos and all the coronavirus fear and everything. As Christians, the Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear. He's given us a sound mind. So we think soundly. We do what we can do. We wash our hands. We don't touch our face, those kind of things. But in the ultimate end, it's all up to the Lord. He's sovereign, and we have nothing to worry about, right? So we can't fall into the trap that the world's trying to make us fall into. We fall into the arms of Jesus, and we trust him. As we talk about spiritual warfare, there was a pastor of a local church. He would spend hours praying over his flock. He took seriously the responsibility that God had given him that one day he would be held to account for those who have made a commitment to this church. He would pray that God would keep them close and that they would never fall away. And one day, the pastor got word that one of his congregants was being recruited by a local cult. And the pastor prayed and prayed, and then he said, you know, i got to go do something about this. So he went straight to the place where this cult met and said to the leader, that person belongs to Jesus, and that person is a sheep in his flock under my care. You can't have her. And the cult leader said, why are you so concerned about one person? Why don't you just go back and take care of the sheep at your church? And the pastor answers, I am taking care of my sheep. I'm fighting the wolves right now. You know, I think about for our church and for any body that meets together like this, the devil is always out to first twist scripture and twist things around and confuse you. And I've seen over and over where people leave the safety of the sheep pen and they get eaten alive. But we're in a battle for lost souls. And I realize the scope of this battle. I don't think many Christians do. I think we make it into a myth or some kind of story. The Bible's very clear that we are in a spiritual battle. So we're in Deuteronomy series, Preparation for the Promised Land, because in order to prepare, we have to battle. Abraham's the father of the nation of Israel and of us, because he's the father of faith. But then Jacob, what was his name changed to? Israel, which means God prevails. And so God would fight for Israel, but in the same sense, Israel fought for God. There was a two-way thing happening. Even though God fights the battles, they still had to show up to fight on his behalf. And by the way, just coming here this morning, you have won the battle that the devil didn't want you to come here. Whenever you do something that God says to do, you are acting in faith and the enemy has to leave because you're not acting in fear. You're acting in faith. So thank you for that, because that is important. And I always say, the times you feel 
the most like not showing up is the times you got to show up the most. (laughs) Because that's the devil. The devil's never going to say to you, go to church. He's going to say, don't go to church. The devil's never going to say, pray or read the word. He's going to say, don't pray, don't read the word. So you got to have your spiritual antennas up and realize that one antenna is getting the bad feed of connection, you know, and the other one needs to be connected to God. They both need to be connected to God because that's how we win the battle. So uh, today, in order to enter the promised land, you have to be ready to battle. There's a God's part. There's my part. And we're going to talk about that. Exodus 13, 18, read it with me. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. When you're a soldier, you enlist for battle. We're all soldiers in the army of God. We have signed up to be in a battle, believe it or not. Was Jesus in a battle? He battled all the way to the cross. I mean, even Peter told him, don't do that. And what did Jesus say to Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan. He wasn't saying Peter was Satan, but Satan was using even Peter. There's people who are going to tell you the wrong thing. And unless you know what the right thing is, you're going to fall into that. So first of all, the battle is against your enemy. You have an enemy. Satan hates God and everything about God, including God's people. And many Christians live in la-la land. They don't realize, or they're in denial. I mean, the enemy of God's people is the enemy of God. His name is Satan. He's the God of this age, the prince of this world, the leader of the kingdom of darkness. And we fight our battles in the spiritual realm against him and his demons. Israel fought their battles in the physical realm, where they actually showed up, dressed for battle, and went and conquered the land. But whenever they didn't trust God, they lost. Whenever they trusted God, they won. It's the same for us. So Moses is preparing Israel for the battle to enter the promised land. Remember, Deuteronomy is the book right before Joshua, where Joshua is now going to lead Israel into the promised land. And in order for Moses to be the right leader for Israel, he had to be honest. He's saying, hey, this won't be easy. In Deuteronomy 20, he says, when, so it's not a matter of if, when you go to battle against your enemies and see all the chariots and all the horses and all the things, whatever they were bringing, what does he say? Do not be afraid of them. For the Lord, your God, who brought you up from the land of Egypt, is with you. Remember, we went through Exodus. Was God faithful to lead this people out of Egypt? How did he do that? He conquered an entire Egyptian army. He parted the sea for Israel to walk through. So Moses is saying, when you go to battle, remember that God, the one your God. In verse 2, When you are about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army. I love this because what's happening here is God's sending a priest to encourage them. Have you ever said, I trust Jesus, which is great. We need to trust Jesus. But we're in a battle. We need Jesus with skin on. 
We need people to come around us and encourage us. So what's happening here is God is sending the priests to go encourage the army before they go to battle. I've had people ask me, because I'm a pastor, hey, can you go visit this person or pray for this person? And when people are sick and on their deathbed especially, they always ask for a pastor to come and pray for them, right? Even dignitaries realize the importance of prayer. Do you know there was a time when the pastor, this is true, there was a time when the pastor was the most important person in the city. And the church building was the most important building in the city. Times have changed. But what they realize is what we don't realize a lot of times is when it all comes to it, that's all that matters is your relationship with Jesus. When you're going into battle, God sends the priests sends the pastor, sends your fellow Christians to come alongside and speak words of encouragement. And what does the priest say? Well, we find out in verse 3 of Deuteronomy 20. The priest shall say, Hear, Israel, today you're going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not panic or be terrified by them. That's a simple message. Today, you're going into a battle against your enemy. But don't be afraid. Don't panic. Don't be terrified. God is with you. Right? It's a simple message. But we get distracted. At this time, I'd like to really talk about something that we don't talk about oftentimes, which is the theology of war. Some people, they don't put the dots together that it's the same God in the Old Testament as the New Testament. They think, well, God of the Old Testament was a different God. It's not. It's the same God. He acted a certain way for that time. What does the Bible say about war? Is there war in the Bible? Yes, there is. In fact, one of the main functions of Israel was to act on God's behalf, and many of those occasions involved war. Now, these wars had a theological purpose. They were ordained acts by God to purge evil from the land and to sovereignly act on Israel's behalf. So then you have to say, what about the sixth commandment? What is the sixth commandment? Thou shall not kill. Now, the King James Version blew it. If you read any other version, it doesn't say that, because it's confusing. The word is murder. Thou shall not murder. Is there a difference between killing and murdering. Yes, there is. There's a difference. Even the dictionary says that murder is the unlawful premeditated killing of one human being by another. The Hebrew word in thou shalt not murder is specific to putting to death improperly or for selfish reasons rather than with divine authorization. And God would never contradict his word. He never does. So if you don't understand the theology of war and how God uses war, you will be hindered and incorrect in your doctrine of God. Because God uses this, especially in the Old Testament with Israel, to purge evil from the land and bring justice to the people. Now Israel blew it. So we can always say, yeah, well, they blew it. Yeah, but the point is, is that God was going to use Israel to be the light in the darkness. 
In fact, God's intention from the very beginning in Genesis was to purge evil from the land. What did he say to Adam and Eve? God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and what? Subdue it. In Hebrew, the subdued, you remember that? Kabash. That's the Hebrew word for subdue. And rule over God's creation. So Israel is a type of Adam where God calls Israel to do exactly this. Subdue evil. Rule over evil. To purge evil from the land. Now think about it. Is God a king? The Bible says, yeah, God is king. What do kings do? Do they just like sit around? I mean, think about what kings do in order to protect their kingdom. What do they do? If someone attacks, they fight to keep their kingdom, right? And they go out and take out evil. You know, in World War II, no one sat there and said, why are we going to fight them? Any sane person would go, if we don't do something about it, this world is going to be taken over by evil. So there is evil, and God wants to fight against evil. Now, the difference with us, Israel was actually a nation with land. A nation has to have land, right? And they had physical land. The church is a nation, but we have a spiritual home. They actually had land. It was the land of Canaan that God promised them. Jesus shows up, and finally, it's like... Finally, someone does what God had ordained from the very beginning. What does Jesus do? He subjects evil under his feet. In fact, the Bible says that all evil will be put under his feet. So what happened when Jesus died on the cross? In 1 John 3, 8, the Son of God appeared for this purpose, what? To destroy the works of the devil. And he also took back what belonged to God. In Mark There's a story of the strong man and Jesus talking about the strong man. It says, but no one can enter the strong man's house. Who's the strong man in this? Satan. And plunder his property. So what would be the property of Satan? Lost people, people who are followers of Satan. And when we say that, we go, oh, they're like satanic or, you know, the church of Satan. Well, Jesus looked at the religious leaders and said, your father is an Abraham, your father is the devil. So it's anyone who rejects Christ. That's called Antichrist. We're looking forward, there's going to be a day where there actually will be a leader in the world who will take over and he'll be evil incarnate. But John writes about the spirit of Antichrist is already in the world. Would we agree with that? Okay, so that's evil. Jesus shows up. He says, but no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds him. So when Jesus died on the cross, guess what? Satan became bound. And then Jesus plundered Satan's house and took back the people. Hallelujah, right? In Colossians 1.13, it says, for he has rescued us from the dominion or the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of light, which is the kingdom of Jesus, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. When Jesus died on the cross, Satan lost power over death and sin. Now, although Jesus defeated Satan and bound him, 
Satan still has some authority that God has given him until he's finally destroyed in the future in what's called the lake of fire, which is hell. And hell was made for him and his demons. Sadly, people choose to go there because they reject forgiveness. Don't reject God's forgiveness. You want to go to heaven. And you do that by accepting Jesus Christ into your heart. But Satan still has some activity, obviously. In fact, we know that we're fighting against him. Ephesians 6.12 is an important verse to realize the truth of this. Read it with me. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Stop. So what would be flesh and blood? People. So the person that you're having problems with, the person that you're ticked off on the road, the person that's harassing you or whatever, or doesn't believe the way you believe or agree with you, and you're fighting against them, you're not fighting against them. You're fighting against the spiritual forces behind that. So read it again. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. So that's obviously talking about spiritual, right? It goes on. And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Right there, we see that there's a battle. And we're battling against Satan and his demons. We have an enemy. And we battle in the spiritual realm. Next, the battle is the Lord's. It's the Lord's battle. Don't try to battle on your own. Because God's way better at it. In fact, in Deuteronomy 24, it says, For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you. That's actually what Israel's name means. God prevails. God fights for you. Against your enemies to save you. That word in Hebrew, Yasha, what would Jesus' actual name be? Jesus is the Greek translation, but what is it? Yeshua. So if the Hebrew word is Yasha, and Jesus' name is Yeshua, Yah, Yahweh, Shua saves, Yahweh saves, Jesus saves, the Lord who saves. Okay, that's Jesus. So we fight in the spiritual realm. Have you ever fought a battle in the spiritual realm for someone you love, for something some very important person to you. I do that a lot. I wake up in the middle of the night. I start praying for people. And this is what I pray. Lord, please keep them close to you. Don't let them wander off. Because isn't that the most important thing? Keep them close to you. I've prayed many times. You know, I've been the pastor of this church since it started. There's been many times where I would pray and I'd remember, you know, Jesus said, the gates of hell would not prevail against my church. But there were some days and nights where I thought the gates of hell were knocking because the battle is intense. But here's the thing. When I try to fight these things on my own, I burn out. You know why a lot of Christians burn out? They're fighting the battles in the flesh. It's way better to fight in the spirit. Let's Rest in the Spirit. Let God fight them. You show up. You act in faith. Here's the thing, though, about this. i got to tell you. For those people who don't like to wait, 
you're going to move ahead and you're going to get lamb blasted by the enemy. The Bible says, wait on the Lord. You know, and when we wait, that's part of the battle because our natural tendency is to move ahead of God. So we wait. And we don't just wait inactively, we wait proactively. We pray and we get around other people that can help us, other believers like you are right now. So that's why it's important to not fight the battles in your flesh. That's why earlier when I was saying, you know, lift your hands. Here's the thing I say when we think of worship. I believe that worship is an attitude of the heart. So who am I to judge someone whether or not they're worshiping or not? I learned that early on. Because you can get people say, oh, if they're not lifting their hands, they're not worshiping. Or if they're not singing, they're not worshiping. Or whatever the outward manifestation of someone thinking what that's what worship is. I believe there are people who lift their hands and who aren't worshiping. And I believe there are people who aren't lifting their hands who are worshiping. But the point is this. When we think scripturally, the Bible does say lift your hands to the Lord. Why is that? Well, I remember the first time I did that. I got saved and I got called into ministry at an evangelical church. And a lot of some churches, I would say, don't encourage the lifting of hands. It's not like they're against it or whatever, but they just don't encourage. They don't teach on that. And, and so I was at a charismatic service, and everybody was lifting their hands. And I was all like this, you know, and I felt really preoccupied with what the person next to me was thinking about me. And I'm like, okay, God, you're telling me to lift my hands. And I'm more concerned about what the people think about me. So something's not right. So I went like this, you know, and then like this. And I like worked out that day, so I went like this. And But I'll tell you what, as that worship was going and the song was singing and I, tears started coming out and I just went like this and like tears just came down because there's freedom in being you. Before the Lord, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Don't be bottled up. Let it out. In 2 Chronicles 20.15, it says, He, which is the Spirit speaking through Jehaziel, the Levite, said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, and then read the rest of me. For the battle is not yours, but God's. When Israel, like I said, when Israel trusted God, they won. When they didn't trust God, they lost. And it doesn't matter who is against you or how many against you. I mean, God used 300 people to annihilate thousands. It's not up to us. It's God's battle. He uses us. I mean, you look around, the Gate Christian Bible Church is small in number, but we're growing, but we're large in faith. I've asked you this before, do you believe God can do anything? Yes, He can. Therefore, we don't focus on what we lack, we focus on what we have. Think of this new thing that's starting, the space force, right? Well, I want to think of the spirit force. We have the spirit force. And the Bible says, greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. If you have the Spirit of God in your life, don't you think you have greatness? 
living in you. So we don't shrink. We battle. You know, next week, we're going to welcome more partners into our church. And I just want you to know this. It only happens by your faithfulness to do that. Well, the Spirit has to work, right? But it's your faithfulness inviting people and keep inviting people and keep inviting people because we don't want them in the dark. We want them to be in the light. And part of being in the light is being plugged into a church so that we can all grow together. First Samuel 17, 47 says, All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear. Today we'd say it's not by artillery or tanks or whatever that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. God always does what he says he's going to do. Faith is believing even when I don't see it. For instance, if the Bible says that I am seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, the Bible says that. I don't feel like I'm seated with Christ in the heavenly realms sometimes, do you? I feel like I'm in the pit. But when I choose to believe that, even when I don't feel like it, I get victory. Or the Bible says, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. If when I believe that, I am victorious. The Bible says, I'm more than a conqueror, and sometimes I feel like a wimp. But if I don't experience it, but still believe it, I win. God wins. The Bible says all evil will be judged one day and all the scales will be balanced and God will take vengeance. And I feel, well, the evil's getting away. Look at what, can't you see, God, what's happening? Where's the justice? I see Christians being killed and murdered and persecuted all over the world. I see and feel darkness. But I believe that there's a better day. And it's right around the corner. Because Jesus is coming back to judge the world. When I believe that, God wins. And I win. Too many Christians are believing lies, believing half-truths, when God's word is truth. We should believe God's word. And if you choose to believe it, even when you don't feel like it, like you showed up today, God wins and you win. You're victorious. You won the battle today. I'm not saying that you won't go home and some weird thing won't happen. I'll never forget. We used to go to Mount Hermon. We still do a lot and I lead worship. I'll never forget one year we went for family camp to lead worship. We came back. The whole bottom floor was flooded with water. So we had to do the whole thing. If you ever had flooding in your house, you know how it is. And then a few years later, I don't know if it was the next year or whatever, come back, the same thing happens. The bottom floor is flooded. I'm like, this is Satan trying to rob our joy. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to turn the water off when I leave. Every time I leave that, because he's not getting my pipes. Okay, I learn quickly. But Satan wants to discourage you. You know, you come from this mountaintop experience today. You're here this morning and then something happens. You got to remember, that's not the way it's going to be forever. That's just a fleeting moment. You are victorious. Because God is victorious. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, who was the governor of Jerusalem at the time. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So it's by God's spirit, the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, you've received the Holy Spirit in your life. And even though you don't feel like he's there half time, he's there. He's living inside of you. God lives in you. 
So how can you lose? How can someone lose? No one loses that way. So the battle is the Lord's, but you have to be part of this battle. Ephesians 6, 16 through 17 says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. So the shield of faith is the belief, the trust, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the devil. And then take the helmet of salvation, which is you're protecting your mind from untruths, because you have the truth in your mind. So those are all defensive weapons. But the sword of the Spirit is the offensive weapon, which is what? The Word of God. This is what you fight with. Isn't that what Jesus showed us? When he was fighting Satan in the wilderness, what did he do? He quoted Scripture, mostly from Deuteronomy, actually. Well, then we learned that way. We learned from Jesus. Next, we fight for God and for one another. We exist in this world to be a light. That means we fight the darkness. So in Deuteronomy chapter 20, if you go there in your Bible, starting in verse 16, it says, God is speaking only in the cities of these people that the Lord your God is giving you as inheritance. You shall not leave alive anything that breathes. Why? You shall utterly destroy them. And he lists the whole thing. He goes, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Why? So that they may not teach you to do all those detestable things they've been doing, which is why I'm taking the land from them and giving them to you, Israel. So don't do those things. That would be a sin against the Lord your God. Satan exists. Sin exists. Those things are fighting against you. Like I talked about before in the other sermon where I talked about we need to destroy the places of idolatry. We don't take them with us into the land. Don't bring the idols of your past into the land. Now, sometimes this means that we need to choose our friends well. Well, we always should do that. Because if there are people in your life who are pulling you away from what God has for you, then you need to make a decision. You should say, I need a break because that is not what God wants me to do. You will become who you hang around with. The more you hang around the Lord, Jesus, you'll become more like him. The more you hang around people who are like you, who have the spirit of God, even as imperfect as we are, at least we're trying to go in the same direction and we're not trying to go south. Though that's why the Bible talks about the one another's. That means the people like you. Now, it's interesting in Deuteronomy 20 again, that God does make exceptions for those who are supposed to fight. In Deuteronomy 20, starting in verse 5, it says here, The officers also shall speak to the people, saying, Who's the man that has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him depart from the battle return to his house. Otherwise, he might die and wouldn't be able to dedicate it. And then he goes on, there's a man who planted a vineyard and it hasn't begun to show fruit. Let him depart from the battle, return to his house. Otherwise, he might die and someone else would begin to use the fruit. And then he says, and who is the man that isn't engaged to a woman and has not married her? Let him depart from the battle, return to his house. Otherwise, he might die in the battle, and another man would marry her. There's three groups of people that God is exempting from the battle for a time. First is those who hadn't finished building their houses. Secondly, those who hadn't yet eaten in their vineyards. 
And third, those who are engaged but not married. And I believe this is because God's desires that his people would delight in his blessings. And he said, before you devote yourself to battle, delight yourself in the blessings of the Lord. Now, in the case of spiritual battle, there are sometimes exceptions because that would pertain to us as the church. Those are times when you might not be able to battle. Maybe you're ill. Maybe you're struggling with an illness or a disease. Or maybe you just need a break. I remember when we started this church, and about two years later, I went through an incredible painful time that God healed me through a three-year discovery, I call it, a healing discovery. But I had to stand up in front of the church, and we were only two years old. And I said, oh, I carried you for two years. Now I need you to carry me. And the church stepped up. And I remember they had a booth outside of the school we were meeting at, and they had a prayer sign up for pastor. Pray for the pastor, and it was a 24-7 prayer. And I remember they gave me the list, and I remember waking up sometimes in the middle of the night in pain and desperation and depression, and I looked at the list, like, oh, a person's praying for me. That's what it's about. That's why Galatians 6 says, bear or carry one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Because sometimes the load is too heavy. And that's when you have to ask the one another's to help you and to come alongside you and to carry your weight. Now, here's the thing. We can't carry your weight forever. I mean, if you go depart and be with the Lord, that's another thing. But there has to come a time where you get back in the battle. Otherwise, we're going to get squashed because we don't have enough people that are fighting the battle. So there is that part of it where you, otherwise you get the 80-20 rule. You know what that is? 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work. That's how Christians burn out, and that's how churches fold. Can't do that. We need everyone in the battle. Nehemiah was a great leader, and he looked at the people, and he says, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Aren't those things that we need to be fighting for? I mean, is the family unit getting demolished and tried to be destroyed by the enemy? How about your sons and daughters? How about your wives and your homes and your husbands? The battle is worth fighting. You fight on your knees, but then you get up and you show up to the things that you need to show up to. That's how faith works. I love Paul because the Apostle Paul, he was at the end of his life, and he wrote to Timothy, his young protege, and he said, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies one's made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. Let's look at Paul's last words in 1 Timothy. So go there, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Now, remember, this is his last words. He's in prison. He's close to being martyred. He's writing to Timothy, and he says this, verse 12 of 1 Timothy chapter 1. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. 
It is a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that me as the foremost Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who believe in him for all eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This I command you and entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience with some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. So he's saying, Timothy, finish well, fight well. Don't give up. You need to be in the race. And then the last, in 2 Timothy, which is his last book, last letter, in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, he does an incredible thing. He's in prison for sharing the gospel. He's about to be martyred. And he's thinking about Timothy. And he writes, I solemnly charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, what does he say to do? Preach the word. Be ready in season, not a season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. And then he says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound teaching, but they want their ears tickled and they will gather around them teachers who will do just that. And they'll turn away from the truth and they'll turn to myths. But you, Timothy, you have a sound mind. Endure hardship, do the work of evangelists, and fulfill your ministry. Everyone has this calling. Everyone is a minister. Everyone should fight the battle and fight well in faith. And don't give up on your family, and don't give up on your friends, and don't give up on your church. We need you all in the battle. So I want to pray. And hopefully you were convicted and encouraged as I have been, especially in the world we live in today, where false teachers are all over the place. You know, Satan is great at twisting around truth and make it half-truth. But we rely on the truth of God's Word that's without error. Thank you, Father, that we have the truth. In fact, Jesus said, I am the truth. So we come and we place our trust in you, the truth. And I pray that you would protect our mind and protect our hearts. Keep us close to you, Lord, because we tend to wander like sheep. And Lord, when we feel like the battle is too intense, I pray as we are relinquishing control to you that we'll also surround ourselves with other battlers who will carry our load and fight with us. That's what the church is for. I pray if anyone today hasn't received God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ, that they do that and they open their heart and they say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you and I ask you to come into my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for me and thank you for rising from the dead for me. And I trust you and I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you, Lord, for everything you've done. You are the great one who battles for us. 
And the greatest battle was for salvation by the atonement of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. We can never repay you, but we just give our lives back to you for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor David Bartowell's message reminds us that God speaks to us with hope and reason so that we can be His voice in this world. Please join us again for Make Me Your Voice, a ministry of the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. We would love to have you join us for a Sunday service. For more information or to find our location, please visit thegatecbc.com. Make me your voice.